This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Amen. Well, take your Bibles once again and turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, I believe we're in week eight of our sermons on Psalm 23. Uh, I would have never imagined I could find eight sermons in Psalm 23, but the truth is I think I've got at least four or five more. So uh, I am really enjoying this personally. I hope you are. I've been constantly encouraged by the good things that the Lord is teaching us through this chapter. Uh, I feel like it's a good place for us to be in this moment. And at the very beginning, uh, when we began to worship only online and couldn't gather, I really prayed that God would bring us to a text, and it wasn't my intention to preach Psalms or Psalm 23 this year, but that God would bring us to a text that would kind of tether us to this moment so every time we looked back at this moment, we would have a place to go. And we would be reminded of what God taught us in this moment from this text. And I hope that God is doing that. I want this to be a defining moment for you, for our church, and I want you to be able to go back to Psalm 23 and be reminded of the good things that God has taught us. Now, if, if you've never read to the end of this book, if you have never carefully come to the very end, then you might have missed an important picture of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things we talk about here a lot at Prince is that every chapter of the Bible is painting a picture of Jesus Christ. As we have said before from Sally Lloyd-Jones, that every story in here is whispering his name. There are whispers of Jesus from the first chapter of Genesis all the way through the entire Old Testament, hundreds of pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. But it's not until we get to the New Testament that those pictures become clearer. And so we do see for the first time a very clear picture of Jesus Christ, the promised one, when we open up to Matthew chapter one. But it's not exactly what we might have expected if you were one of those who had been waiting on the coming of the Messiah and you had read all of those whispers, you might have created in your mind a picture of Jesus that wasn't exactly what it was like when he came. Because the truth is, Jesus looks a little bit different than we might have imagined. He was born in a manger, essentially homeless. He then lived his early life as a refugee, having to leave his home and go to Egypt, running for his life because of the political powers. He then was raised as a carpenter, he spent his life as an old school prophet, kind of that vision that we have of the prophets from the Old Testament. And then we see him at the end dying a criminal's death, bloody and beaten and seemingly defeated. And yes, at the very end of the Gospels, we see his resurrection and in Acts chapter one, we see his ascension. But the picture that we get of Jesus is still one of a man who is extremely human, experiencing with us our brokenness and the pain that we endure in this broken world. But in Revelation 19, there is a different picture of Jesus. I think you could say it's an updated picture of Jesus. It's not that all of those other pictures aren't true. They are. Jesus was a baby in a manger. Uh, he was a refugee running for his life. He was a carpenter's son. He was a prophet he was someone who died a gruesome criminal's death. But those pictures are a bit outdated. 
That is not what Jesus is now. And in Revelation 19, the heavens are literally opened and John is able to get a picture of Jesus as he is now and as we are going to see him next. It's a bit of an interesting picture. It tells us that there is Jesus riding on a white horse, which is a clear symbol of victory. It says his eyes are like flames of fire and he has a victor's crown up on his head. It is very evident that he is a victorious leader. He's clothed in a white robe and that robe is covered in blood. Now, the last time we saw Jesus in the gospels, we saw his robe covered in blood, but this time it's different. This is not his blood, this is the blood of his enemies. It tells us that behind him is a massive army of the host of heaven, which is us. This is the saints. And they're also in white robes, but their robes of white linen are clean. There's no blood on their robes because the Lord is fighting the battle for them. He says that there's a sharp sword that is coming out of his mouth to cut down the nations. And it tells us that he will rule with a rod of iron as he brings forth the wrath of God delivers his people and establishes his kingdom. And then it says this. It says that on his robe is written these words, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I don't know what kind of church you grew up in, but I would imagine this is not the picture of Jesus you got on the flannel graph in kindergarten Sunday school. This is not the way we often think of Jesus as the mighty warrior covered in the blood of his enemies with fire coming out of his eyes and a sword in his mouth, who has come to rescue his people, to destroy all of those who have rebelled against him and persecuted his people, and to once and for all establish his kingdom on earth, leading behind him all of those who have been saved by him as he establishes that kingdom forever. But that is the picture that we get of Jesus, a picture of a mighty warrior, And it's exactly the kind of picture that David wants us to get about the shepherd in Psalm 23, verse four. Now, this might be a surprising picture to us. This is not the kind of picture of a shepherd that we're used to. I I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about David as a shepherd. But I would imagine it could possibly be something like this. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but... I think at times we kind of think of David as a shepherd, as a little bit of an effeminate, harp playing, poetry writing, slow walking hippie. Now to be fair, David did play a harp and write poetry, but David was also one tough dude. Now we know this from the episode of David and Goliath, but not simply from the fact that David approached a a giant that all of the armies were afraid of, put a stone in his head, and then cut his head off and stole his sword and held up his head. It's not from that. It's from just before that. So David had been sent to the battlefield to visit his brothers who were there to fight. And when David got there, he noticed that there was this giant that was taunting the people of God and there was not one soldier of the thousands of soldiers representing the people of God that would dare stand against Goliath and fight him. He saw his brothers and all the other armies cower in the presence of the giant. So David began to ask, what's what's going on here? Why is no one fighting this giant? 
his brothers heard him and they made fun of him. They said, David, listen, go back to your few sheep is what they say. Just get, get out of here. You have no place here. We know that you just came here to see what's going on. Just get out of here. And then Saul finds out about David and that David is inquiring. And Saul says this. He says, David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. And here's how David responds in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Listen to how David responds to Saul and to his brothers when they assured him that he was no match for Goliath. He says this, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and it took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. Now, this is not the picture that you might have had of David. This is unbelievable. Can, can I just... Can I just remind you of, of, of what we just read? So David is tending sheep as a young man, most likely as a teenage young man, and a lion comes out to get one of his sheep, and it does. And so what David does is he approaches the lion, gets the sheep out of his mouth, grabs him by the beard, and beats the lion to death. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but if you're watching, let's say you've got like 75 sheep and you're just watching them, and a lion comes out. A, a few options. Option A, you just run. I mean, a lion has come out of the woods. You, you run. Option two, you say, well, <laughs> I have 74 more. I mean, that's sad. I mean, I, you know, all the sheep matter, but he got one, and if I leave him alone, he's gonna be gone. He's gonna eat that sheep, but I got 74 more. Or would you, in that circumstance, you don't have an AR-15, right? Would you, in that circumstance, approach the lion, take the sheep out of the lion's mouth, grab the lion by the beard, and with your hands, try to fight the lion? Now listen, I have a four-year-old son named Josiah. I am confident he would choose the third option. He would say, in this circumstance, I will approach the lion, and wrestle him and take him down the way I wrestle my father and take him down. But anyone above the age of about five, I don't think is going to choose the third option. You're not going to approach the lion, grab him by the beard and try to beat him to death. But this is exactly what David did. This means that a shepherd is a fierce defender. A shepherd is a mighty warrior. A shepherd is a courageous fighter. And if you're a sheep, that's exactly the kind of shepherd that you want. And that's exactly the kind of shepherd that you have. Now, up until this point in Psalm 23, Jesus is portrayed as the good shepherd, as the gentle shepherd, the, the Matthew 11, come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle of soul. Listen to what it says in the first few verses of Psalm 23. Look at the text. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even just now, as I read that, I, just, I do find a bit of rest that comes over me. I, I think about the gentleness of the shepherd and the care of the shepherd who provides everything that we need in verse one, who leads us into green pastures and gives us rest, who leads us beside still waters and gives us refreshment, who restores our soul. The one who leads us in the right paths for his name's sake. This is the gentle shepherd and every time I read these verses, I feel it. I feel the gentleness of the shepherd. And we need a gentle shepherd. This is the reason that Jesus stood up and said to the multitudes, come to me. I'm a gentle shepherd and you will find in me rest for your souls because he knows that apart from all of the external battles, there is this battle in our souls and we need to find rest and the gentle shepherd is inviting us into it. But in verse four, the feel of the text changes just a little bit. Look at it, it says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the tone changes a bit and, and all of a sudden there's this picture of us walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago that, that the reality is this, is that it is the Lord who is leading us in the valley of the shadow of death. As we follow him, in order for us to get from where we are to where we need to be, we must go through the valley of the shadow of death to be the people God wants us to be. So it's not just that he allows us to go there, he leads us in the valley of the shadow of death. He will often put us in fear-inducing, dark and dangerous situations. It is a part of his sanctifying process. But David says, I have learned in the midst of that, even though there is danger in the valley and there is fear in the valley, I've learned to not be afraid. This is last week's message. Why? Because you are with me. So one of the comforts that we have in the valley, the inevitable valley that all of us are either going through now, we have just come out of, or we're about to go in, is that the presence of the Lord is always with us in the valley. The God who leads us in is the God who goes before us, behind us, beside us, over us, under us. He is there with us every step of the way. But there is another encouragement for the valley. It is not only that God's presence is there with us, but that God's protection is there with us. That's the point of the end of verse four. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The idea of rod and staff are words of protection. And all of a sudden we have a new picture of a shepherd that emerges. It's a Revelation 19 picture of a shepherd where the shepherd all of a sudden is a fierce defender and a mighty warrior who is there for our protection in the valley. So let's, let's think about the picture that starts to emerge of this shepherd that's certainly different than it was in the first three verses. That picture comes from those two words, rod and staff. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the shepherd has two weapons in his hand. He has a rod and a staff. That rod is about a two-foot piece of wood. It looks like a billy club. 
and it's got a round knob on one end so it's easier to hold and there's a leather string that goes around the wrist and it will always be in the predominant hand of the shepherd. So if the shepherd is right-handed, there will never be a time in which that is not hanging from his hand right there in his hand. Now, this was not only a hard piece of wood, but what would happen is the shepherd would take iron, mostly iron, sometimes any kind of metal, and embed that iron in the other end of that rod. So that on one end, there's a handle, and on the other end, there is this hard wood billy club that has iron embedded in it. In other words, the rod was a weapon, a dangerous weapon intended to hurt someone or something. It would be this rod which David used when he approached a lion and grabbed it by the beard and pummeled it to death by beating its head with a rod. I just wanna make sure you have the picture in your mind of what a fierce and deadly weapon this is that David beat a lion to death with the rod that was in his hand. It is clearly a dangerous weapon. What David is saying is that a shepherd always carries with him a rod, and so it is. The Lord, who is our shepherd, has a rod, and he also has a a staff. Now, I I don't need to, to paint that picture for you. Every time you see a picture of a shepherd, he has a staff, and often in his other hand, he would be carrying this long pole, looks a little bit like a walking stick with a large hook at the end. Now, that was also a means of protection. We've talked a lot over the last few weeks about the sheep and a bit of their stupidity and how they are prone to wander, that they're not naturally going to just group together and go together, they're naturally all gonna go different ways. And the shepherd knows that any time a sheep gets out of the fold, he's in a dangerous position, that it is in that time in which it's easier for a predator to come and to get him. And so what would the shepherd do? The shepherd would use that staff, which is curved like that, to reach it out and pull the neck of the sheep gently to bring that sheep back into the fold. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we we talked about the fact that when sheep get thirsty, they will drink whatever water they can find, and often they will get sick because they'll drink contaminated water, and so it's the shepherd's role when a sheep begins to wander and drink contaminated water to bring that sheep back into the fold and to lead it to good water? Well, the way in which the shepherd does that is with the staff. So he is using this staff constantly to put it around the neck of the sheep to keep them where they need to be for their safety. So just just think about it this way. The rod and the staff are both instruments of protection. The rod exists to protect the sheep from predators. And the staff exists to protect the sheep from themselves. The rod exists to protect the sheep from the predators that they know are going to come. There will be a time in which a lion will come. And and by the way, remember, David also killed a bear in this like manner. So bears are going to come and lions are going to come and the shepherd must be there in order to defend his sheep against these wild animals and he will do that with his rod. But just as dangerous to the sheep are themselves. You have to know that we are often our worst enemy. 
I, I, I think about this from time to time. I think, okay, let's just take the devil out of it. Let's just act for a moment as if the devil is not even tempting me and there's no spiritual forces in the heavenly places coming against me. I'm pretty sure left on my own with just my own flesh, I could still completely mess up my life in every way. I have that capacity, you have that capacity, and so just our own propensity to wander, to drink from contaminated water, to wander into other fields that we think might have greener grass, and so it is that we need a shepherd to protect us not only from our enemies, but from ourselves, because at times we can be our worst enemy. Now remember, David is is looking back on his life. He's thinking about what it looks like to walk with the Lord. And he's using his own experience as a shepherd, as a word picture for us to help us understand what it's like to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And David thinks about the valleys that he walked through. And he thinks about the fear that was generated in that valleys and the darkness that comes over him in those valleys. And what he has come to realize is this, that in the valley there are dangers. There are dangers from all around us of predators or anything else that would want to come and destroy us, the forces of darkness. But often in the valley, our greatest enemy is ourself. Often in the valley, we find ourselves in this slippery slope of despair. We find our own anxieties and our own worries compounding upon each other. And instead of taking every single thing to the Lord, we allow those to continue to mull over in our mind until we find ourselves in a darker place in the valley than the Lord ever intended for us to be. Why? Because we've taken ourselves there. So David, who has walked through the valley time and time again, thinks about a rod and a staff. And he says that as I'm going through the valley and I think about a rod and a staff, it comforts me. So so look at it again with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, inevitable, every one of us, multiple times in our lives, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, why? You're with me. I know, Lord, that your presence is with me, that you are the one that has led me here and you will lead me out. Through many dangers, snoils, and snares, we will, toils and snares, we will go. And our pathway includes all of those things. But the Lord is there with us. He's going with us. His presence is there. He is our right hand. We will not be shaken. I will not fear because of your presence. But he says, in the valley, I also find incredible comfort from being reminded that the shepherd who has led me through the valley has a rod and a staff. You say, well, why why is David comforted by the rod and the staff? I mean, the rod is a deadly weapon. The staff is something constantly to pull a sheep back. Why is he comforted by this? Here's the reason. Because David knows the Lord uses the rod and the staff for us and not against us. He uses it for us and not against us. We, we know from Psalm 100 that we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. We know from John 10 that anyone who acknowledges their own sin and calls upon the name of the Lord and asks to be saved from their sin, who trusts Jesus Christ and chooses to follow him as Lord and Savior, becomes one of the Lord's sheep. This is John 10. 
John 10 tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ becomes our shepherd and we are comforted when we know that the one who is leading us is not using the rod and the staff against us. He is using the rod and the staff for us. He is not against us. He is for us. He is not against you. He is for you. Listen, church, the Lord is not against you. The Lord is for you. He is eternally for you. And there is great comfort in thinking about the fact that our shepherd has a rod and a staff when you know that he has those things because he has your back. Let's go back to the picture of Jesus in Revelation 19. When you see that picture of Jesus, which you might have never even thought of much before, with the sword coming from his mouth, the eyes like flames of fire, the bloody robe when he's coming to bring forth the wrath of God, when he has written on him King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the picture of Jesus as a warrior Messiah coming to rescue his people, to establish his kingdom, to destroy his enemies. How does that picture of Jesus make you feel? Like what kind of emotion comes over you when you think about a warrior Messiah? Not Jesus as a baby or Jesus as a preacher or a carpenter, but Jesus as a warrior. How does that make you feel? Well, I would imagine it depends upon which side of Jesus you're on. If you're behind the mighty warrior Messiah Jesus, and you know that you too are on a white horse, clothed in a white robe, and all of the blood is on him, it's not on you, because he has come to fight the battle for you. And here is this mighty warrior who is taking down every nation and all of the enemies of the kingdom of God, all of the nuclear powers, all of the great powers of the world, Psalm 2, that have risen up against the Lord and his anointed, all of those who have said, we will not submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. In one moment, the Lord goes forth, leading an army, and by himself destroys all of them. Listen, if you are behind him, that is incredibly comforting. Because that's going to be you, church. That's going to be me. We will be on a white horse following Jesus Christ as he wages war upon the nations. That's comforting. As a matter of fact, it kind of makes you want to strut just a little bit. If you are behind him, that's really comforting. But if you were in front of him, that's terrifying. It reminds us of why Jonathan Edwards tells us that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of an angry God that if you have not trusted Jesus Christ, then the wrath of God is still upon you. When you trust Jesus, the wrath of God is removed. It is placed upon Jesus. He dies to appease the wrath of God. So now we walk in righteousness before God. No more wrath, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you spend your life rebelling against God, you will be on the wrong side of the warrior Messiah when he returns. And that should be terrifying. So, Picturing Jesus as a warrior Messiah is either comforting or terrifying. And seeing the shepherd with a rod and a staff is either comforting or terrifying. If you are on the wrong side of the shepherd, you should be terrified at the thought that he has a rod. But if you are on the right side of the shepherd, you should be comforted by the fact that he has a rod and a staff. 
Now, I, I wanna show you the most incredible thing. Now, I, I know I get overly excited about these kind of connections in scripture, but stick with me. I think this will fire you up, okay? So you have this picture of Jesus in Revelation 19 as this mighty warrior Messiah, okay? Now, Revelation 19, verse 15 says this, listen. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Listen to this phrase. And he will rule with a rod of iron. That little phrase there, he will rule with a rod of iron, is a direct reference to the Old Testament shepherd motif in Psalm 23. That little phrase, he will rule with a rod of iron, points us back to the Lord as a shepherd in Psalm 23. The reason I know that is because the word that is used for rule is the word poimen, it is the word shepherd. That's what Revelation 19 says. Here's this mighty warrior Messiah, and then it says this, he will shepherd with a rod of iron. You see, someday when, when Christ returns, he will continue to shepherd us, and one of the ways he will shepherd us is that he will gather us together as his sheep, and he will go before us, destroying with the rod of iron all of our enemies as he continues to shepherd us, lead us eternally in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. That warrior Messiah of Revelation 19 is the warrior shepherd of Psalm 23, and we are comforted by the fact that we are on his side. The point of the end of verse four is simply this. Our shepherd is a fierce defender who always protects his sheep. Listen to this. Our shepherd is a fierce defender, a mighty warrior who always protects his sheep. This is why in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I call my sheep by name. They hear me. They know my voice. They come to me, and I will not lose one. So yes, when I think about that story I told of having 75 sheep and one is taken by a lion, most likely I'm not grabbing the lion by the beard and beating it to death. I will rejoice in the 74 I have. The Bible says Jesus is not like that. He gathers his sheep. He does not lose one. And anything that comes against them, he uses the rod of iron. I don't know if that's the picture that you have in your mind of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but it's the picture that David wants you to have from Psalm 23 and John wants you to have from Revelation 19. When David opens up this motif of the shepherd, he wants you to see him as a gentle, nurturing, caring shepherd, but one who also, if necessary, will defend you from your enemies and yourself. The shepherd is the mighty warrior Messiah. Now, Psalm 23, verse four at the very end, is written to comfort us. And we should be comforted. We should be comforted at the idea that this one is on our side. He is for us, he is not against us, but it is not simply there to comfort us. It is there to guide us. Psalm 23 is a guide, let me say it again. Psalm 23 exists to teach us how to walk in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Every verse, every line of Psalm 23 is a guide for how to walk with Jesus. How do we trust and follow Jesus? Psalm 23 tells us. 
And in this pathway that God is leading us, he's saying that we desperately need protection. We need protection from enemies and we need protection from ourselves. And it is a guide for the way in which we are protected in this world from the enemies and from ourselves as we walk the path of righteousness. Now, just let me explain this in practical terms and and we'll be done. I am very confident in the reality of the spiritual battle that wages around us, Ephesians chapter six. It's real. There are spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places that are waging war against us. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers, the principalities in the heavenly places. There is a very real and very powerful and very intense unseen battle all around us right now, in your home, in your car, in this room, as I preach, there is a massive cosmic spiritual battle going on. And I believe that thousands of times a day, the warrior shepherd Messiah wins battles for us and defeats enemies for us that we never see and will not know about on this earth. Thousands of times a day. Our defender is taking that rod and not only would he ultimately do it when he destroys all of the nations and subdues them before himself and establishes his kingdom, but right now today in the heavenly places, God is sending out his host to use that rod. He is protecting us in a thousand ways we do not know. But apart from that, there is a role that we play in experiencing the protection of the Lord. When you think about the rod to defeat our enemies and the staff to protect us from ourselves, there are three primary means that God has given us to enjoy and experience the protection of the Lord. It is his word, his spirit, and his people. His word, his spirit, and his people. It is his word that rebukes us. It is his word as we open it up that shows us that we're walking in the wrong path. It it is his word that leads us in the right path. It is his word that is a light unto our feet and a light unto our path. Every single day, when I get up in the morning, I spend time in this word. When you spend time in this word, it is one of the ways in which God is protecting you from enemies and from yourself. And the more you are out of this word, the more in danger you are to yourself and from the enemies because of your failure to receive the protection of the Lord that he gives us in his word. His word exists to protect you. His spirit exists to protect you. His spirit guides us into truth. As we walk in the spirit, we grieve the spirit when we sin and we know when we grieve the spirit. We know when songs of praise are not coming from our mouth. We know if we think about it when our heart is not filled with praise. We know when we're not walking in the spirit. And we know that if we're not walking in the spirit, we're more in danger to walking in the flesh and in sin. And so it is that God has called us to seek every day to be filled with the spirit of God. God, I surrender myself to you. Fill me with your spirit. I wanna walk in your spirit. I wanna walk in your ways. We don't just do it once, we do it throughout the day. Lord, I've sinned, I've grieved your spirit. I I wanna be filled with your spirit now. Fill me with your spirit. His word and his spirit protecting us. But listen, his church is, I believe, the primary means of protection for you from the moment you come to know Christ until the moment the Lord takes you home. I could stop right here and preach another sermon on this. Don't worry, I'm not going to, but I could do it from Matthew 18. 
Matthew 18 gives us a little picture of the lost sheep. You know the story. A shepherd has 100 sheep and one goes astray. The shepherd leaves the 99 just as David would have done. And he goes and he gets that sheep and he brings it back and everyone rejoices. So in Matthew 18, Jesus gives this story of a lost sheep wandering away, going to get it and bringing it back. And immediately after he tells that story, he gives the disciples instruction, listen, on church discipline. Church discipline is not about shaming someone who sinned. Church discipline is about protecting us from ourselves. It's about knowing that every one of us at some time in our lives are going to be a lost sheep. We we are going to, to go away. We are his, we belong to him, but we wander. And so it is the way in which God uses his staff to bring us back is the church of Jesus Christ. And so as you're gathered together with the church and we see that you haven't shown up in a couple of weeks and you're not here and it seems as if your marriage is not doing well, the most loving thing we can do is we can come after you with that staff and plead with you to come back. And then if you don't come back, then we go with someone else and we plead with you. And then if you don't come back, we, we tell it to the church and we all go with you. Church discipline has never been about shaming a sheep. It's about protecting a sheep from sin and predators and protecting a person from themselves. One of the primary ways that God protects you is through the ministry of the church. So church, listen to me right now. What we're doing right now, this is great. I praise God that we have a means by which while we cannot gather corporately, I can speak to you from his word and encourage you, not only doing it on Sunday, but doing it every week on Wednesday when I speak to you more personally and practically from a pastor's perspective. I love that we can do this, but listen to me very closely. This is not the church. This isn't church. People say, well, we're never gonna get back to normal. No, that's, that's ridiculous. This is not church. It's what we need to do right now. But God has always intended that his church be a gathered people so that when one sheep goes astray, we know it and we go after them. We will be gathered again. And we will continue to take seriously the life of every single sheep. Because God has put under shepherds in place to protect the sheep and given you a body of believers who watch over you and God protects you by the means of the church. So this morning, I want you to be comforted. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Would you be comforted this morning by the fact that the shepherd who has called you, who knows you by name, who watches over you, has a rod and he has a staff And a thousand times a day, he's defending you from enemies you don't know about. And by his spirit and his word, he is using his staff to bring you back. Be comforted that the the shepherd who leads you in the valley has a rod in one hand, a staff in the other, and he ensures that you will make it to the end. Be comforted. Can I just encourage you as well to be, be renewed? Be renewed in your commitment to the word of God. Be renewed in your commitment to the spirit of God. You should be every day seeking to be filled with the spirit, praying that God would fill you with the spirit. Be renewed in your commitment to the church of God. Call someone this week that the Lord brings to your mind. Be the church. Go to someone's house and visit them if you worry they're not doing right. Let's be the church. Be comforted, be renewed, and listen, church, be assured that the shepherd loves you, 
like a good father and a warrior shepherd. And he will defend you until the very end. Rest in that. The good shepherd is the warrior Messiah. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.